Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, you know, we've done this in the past. We've, we've talked about, you know, medication-assisted treatment. But you know what this, this week is, right? The governor had a proclamation. That's right. And made this week very important. Do you know what it is? I do. I Go. do know what it is. And you better not get it wrong. Go ahead. Tell no, me. I'll, I'll let you say it. Yep. It is, it is uh, Opioid Use Disorder Awareness Week, or better known as OUD Awareness Week. So um, this is a very important week, uh, not only for the general public, but for us in the Department of Corrections, because we are doing so much around the, the, the addiction of the people that are under our supervision in, in prisons or on parole and probation. And it's an important topic because, I mean, we've done many podcasts on um, the opioid addiction crisis, in, not only in Michigan, but across the country. There's, there was more deaths from opioid overdoses than there was car accidents. And that's, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And, you know, we are, we are tackling this head on. Um, it's in our strategic plan, which we've talked about in the past. And, um, you know, I'm excited today to have on, I mean, much more of an expert than you, Chris Gouts. In, in this area. To this, I will agree. You don't say that, you don't say that very often, but we have on Dr. McIntyre Leone, who is our chief medical officer here at the Department of Corrections. And I'm very excited to have you on. Thanks for coming on Field Days and, and talking to us about Matt. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So this is your first time on the podcast. Yep. Yeah, I, I hope it's not too too painful. Um, we, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to have a good conversation here. For people in the DOC who don't know you or even know that we have a chief medical officer, can you kind of uh, give us your background, wh- what you did before you came to corrections and, and how you got here? I'm a psychiatrist by training, have worked for years in public behavioral health, which you know, uh, germane to this topic includes being a medical director for uh, substance abuse clinics that uh, included uh, medication-assisted treatment. So I was with the Detroit Wayne Mental Health Authority, worked very closely with the jail system there. Prior to that was in Oakland County working closely with their jail system. And that's how I came to be on the governor's uh, diversion council and got to be connected with the uh, Michigan Department of Corrections. So I'm now with Wayne State University, Associate Chair for their Psychiatry Department over Community Affairs. And Wayne State and the MDOC have a very exciting partnership uh, for the last two years where the university provides the medical leadership for the department. Well, welcome to the MDOC. I know you've been here for a couple of years, but uh, I'm glad you're finally on the podcast and, and people can hear from you um, directly. I think, I think it's very important because you do some very, very important work here with us and, and for the people that we supervise. So I, I kind of want to get into, you know, there's there's a lot of stats around, you know, opioid use disorders and, and, and overdose. And can you talk about some of the some of the overwhelming medical evidence? If somebody isn't on MAT and suffers from an opioid use disorder and they leave, the likelihood that they will use an overdose is, I, I'm sure you know the numbers, are much higher. And the difference if, if they start a MAT program along with treatment, of course, what the rate of success is in, in, in that area. So our returning citizens, folks that are leaving our prisons, are 12 times more likely to die within the first 60 days of um, release from prison than other individuals. And the vast majority of those deaths are because of drug overdose. Um, and nowadays, around 70% of those overdoses are from opiates. So it's really important then that we give them all the tools that they can have so that, that the instant they walk out of our facilities, they're protected. The um, MAT is a huge component of that. Yeah, and I agree. And that, and that would continue whether on supervision, on parole, or obviously if they didn't go to prison, they're on probation. You know, our, our field staff are supporting the use of MAT. Um, I think that's very, very important. You know, I think it in the past had had a stigma, a negative stigma of you're just giving somebody a drug to offset the drug that they're using. 
I know there's a lot of myths around, you know, the use of MAT, which is methadone, Suboxone, and Vivitrol. Those are the three medications that, right. that, that somebody right, can right. use. But that's, I think that stigma is going away in some areas of the department. I, th- I think the field has become um, much more educated in, in the use of MAT. But can you talk about some of the myths around the use of MAT and, you know, methadone, people are just zombies walking around out of clinics right. and that kind of stuff. So can you right, talk about right, that right. and why that's important? Sure. And I totally get the perception of you're just giving, you know, a drug addict a drug to combat a different drug. So let's put it this way. If it's lunchtime, you start thinking about food, right? It's around 12, and then you have a meeting, and it gets to be 4 o'clock, you're thinking about food. If it gets to be the next day, you know, and you've gone for 24 hours without food, at that point, you pretty much can't think of anything but food, right? And if you take that out for a while, then if you snatch, you know, if you snatch Chris's lunch... (laughs) Which I usually Off do, of the by desk. The way. Yeah, I, I, I try to do that every day. Because <laughs> that's all you can think of, you know, and you can't think of anything else beyond getting food and it's there in front of you. So then one could argue that you're addicted to food, right? So after a certain bit of time, you're going to start craving food. And after a bit longer, that's all you're going to be able to think of. And after a while, you're going to do whatever you can to get your hands on food. And why? Is it just because you're a greedy pig? No, it's biologically, your body needs the food and your body is sending you all these signals, I need this fuel. It is exactly the same thing when you talk about somebody with a substance use disorder. So you use once, you use twice, okay, you, you can feel it and maybe you have a little bit of, you know, withdrawal effects afterward. But when you've been using chronically, you create changes in your brain and in your body. And your brain needs those drugs just to feel normal, even beyond any kind of withdrawal. And you probably heard about the drug dopamine or the neurochemical dopamine in your brain, right? So lots of important stuff, but anything that's fun. If you're a skier, if you're a snowboarder, if you're addicted to shopping, if you like get a rush from gambling, you know, or if it's drugs or alcohol, it's all because of dopamine. Dopamine is the main chemical in our system that tells us that was a good thing. Let's do that some more. Okay. So it's your reward. All right. And so if you think about something like food and think of like 80 units of dopamine get released from food. Interestingly, we release more dopamine from food than sex. The rush that you get from using heroin is hundreds of units of dopamine. And our brains recycle it. We've got this great recycling thing. So you release a little dopamine, you take it back up and you store it for the next time. When you're using drugs regularly, you deplete your system. When you start depleting your system, then what happens? Not only do you just go back to, you know, like an 80 milligram or 80 units from food, you don't have that 80 units to give anymore because you've depleted it. It's not about, you know, oh, I don't feel high. It's also life has no meaning anymore. Life has no reward. Food isn't rewarding anymore. Shopping isn't rewarding anymore. So that's what you're trying to do. When you've got this chronic opioid use, you're just trying to get back to normal and trying to feel like there's a reason to go on living. So what you're saying is that the MAT, the medication that you use, just kind of brings you back up to normal levels, right? Absolutely. So it's not, it's not where you're just supplementing one drug to get high off another drug. It's it's actually just getting to a point where you're normal so that you can function and go get the help that you really need. Because without that, if you try to go to treatment or you try to live your life, it's not going to be the same, right? It's not going to be the same. You can't learn. So, you know, you can put somebody in therapy, but until you normalize that brain, they can't make any use of the therapy. 
So in the facilities, I know we're going to be doing some pilots, as I understand. I think three facilities are going to be doing a pilot. So I just, I guess, logistically and like realistically, what's it going to look like? What are staff going to see? What prisoners are going to be getting it? How do they get it? Do they have to have an addiction? Do they have to prove some way? How is that all going to work? What's it going to look like? Sure, sure, sure. So folks will get into the program a couple of different ways. For our intake sites and our pilot site will be RGC, but kind of when this launches statewide in June, anybody coming in on any form of MAT, we're going to look to be able to continue that. And we have more and more of our county jails are starting MAT. I'm aware of at least eight county jails that are now starting MAT. So we don't want them to get stabilized in the county jail and then come to us and we mess them up again. So if they come to us on MAT um, in our pilot program, we're going to do whatever we can to keep them on MAT. For um, our other sites for existing folks, It's a referral. It's a mental health referral the same way that if you were concerned that somebody has depression, right? And so a custody officer can refer someone to our mental health program that they believe has depression or a change in mental status. Um, Your primary care physician can refer somebody. So anybody who has a thought that somebody might have a substance use disorder or an opioid use disorder. So things that might tip you off is someone who is asking for lots of pain meds or someone that's getting caught with contraband, someone who gets, you know, found unresponsive and appears like they've taken an overdose of, you know, medications or drugs. Those would be ideal people that uh, should be referred to us. Yeah, you know, I assume when when this rolls out statewide, you know, everybody goes through a screening process at RGC when they they get there, I'm assuming. You know, there's a lot of file review involved in that. The PSI shows a lot of history of a person, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I'm sure there's ample opportunity for somebody to, to recognize an, an assessment. So we do lots lots of assessments. Yep. Ample opportunity for somebody to recognize that this person has a SUD, OUD, whatever it mm-hmm. is, and then, you know, can get through the proper channels to get what they need while they're, while they're incarcerated. So we're going we're gonna to pilot this starting in March. Do you know where we're piloting this at? And how is this, how is this rollout happening? RGC site in Jackson is one of them. Then Central Michigan and Carson City are three sites. We do currently have women who are on MAT uh, who come in pregnant on it. So we'll be continuing them. Right now what happens is that as soon as you deliver, they get taken off the mat. So for the pregnant women that come in on mat, we'll continue them um, on mat. And then starting in June when we go statewide, then this will be available in all our facilities. For the women that are on it, even if they were on methadone, they would go to an OPT site or they off-site uh, when they were pregnant, and then they would stop uh, once they delivered. And so now that would continue. But I think our staff are getting used to Vivitrol, and, and we've been doing that a little bit. And Suboxone, I know, is going to be a big hurdle for people to get over because right. they see it so much coming the contraband. But, but methadone is a whole other animal that we really have not talked about or seen. And we're not starting with that, as I understand it. That would be down the road. We would start with them on the other drugs first, and then if we needed to... We would do that, right? Is that right? So um, initially, the only folks that'll have methadone available, as I said, are the pregnant women that come in on methadone. Um, you shouldn't change from methadone to buprenorphine during a pregnancy. It can be really hard on the fetus. But after the delivery, um, we will be uh, discussing with the women. I'm changing to another form of mat. Methadone, as you said, has lots of of issues, having to drive folks out and whatever. So we are looking at ways that we can make methadone available. It's our intention to be able to offer all three forms of um, mat for opioid use disorders. Uh, We're just not there yet with the methadone. And could you, could you address the, the Suboxone issue? Because I know we talked about this when we had Marty Kay and Beth Boyd on, but I, I don't think we can say it enough because our staff see Suboxone coming in on a daily basis, almost. I mean, right. I get emails 
from facilities all over the state almost daily from Suboxone being found and smuggled in. Or, and so they see it all the time. And so the idea that we're now going to be giving it to prisoners is such an <laughs> anathema. Can you get address why we're doing that and, and what maybe some of the benefits uh, down the road might be of, of doing that? So it's funny. We just came back from a conference in Rhode Island. Um, and Rhode Island's been doing this in a number of their jail prisons. And so the warden from one of the facilities was saying the same thing, you know, are you crazy? <laughs> We've been trying to keep these Suboxone strips out, and now yeah. you're bringing it in. Again, it's like the food thing. If we didn't feed our prisoners, it wouldn't be unusual that they would turn to contraband food, um, right? So I think it's two things. One, if you have someone who's got an OUD, and it's not just their brain, their whole body's out of whack. They're just desperately trying to get back on track. They're just desperately trying to feel normal. And up to this point, we haven't been giving them the treatments that they need. So it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like if you have hypertension, if we haven't been addressing that, then you can understand where some people might want to, you know, try to smuggle something in to address their hypertension. So this is a very real body disorder that some people are trying to combat that. On the flip side, I will say that there are a lot of myths about Suboxone, people think that you can get high off of it. I think some of the contraband is around that. People thinking they can get high off of it or it just having, you know, some, you know, yard value, as they say, some currency, right? So I can smuggle this in and then I can use that to exchange for, you know, whatever it is I really want. So I think a part of our launch is going to be doing a lot of training to not just um, our custody staff and all our, our healthcare staff, but also to the prisoners themselves. Guess what? You really can't get high off of Suboxone. And what other facilities have found, they've done this in Massachusetts. They've done this in Rhode Island. They're doing it out in California. They're doing it in a number of facilities. And they found that smuggling and all the contraband goes down because then people's needs are being met. You know, their their healthcare condition is being treated. They find that violence goes down. They find that, you know, people kind of drug seeking pain meds from the doctors is going down. So in addition to what we already talked about is decreasing the death, you know, when people get out, that things just get safer for the folks that are still inside. Yeah, I think that's important to underscore. You know, change is tough. And this is a big change for the Department of Corrections, just, you know, in, in mentality and kind of philosophy. But I think once people see what you just said, you know, people's needs are being met. So they, they won't be trying to get their, you know, trying to fix themselves all day long by contraband and all this other thing. But it'll be safer because they will be normal, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, the person will be normal and not on edge and always, you know, looking for that right. normalcy. Right, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's important to underscore. But I also think it's important because I know that this blew Chris's mind when Marty Kay and Beth were on that, you know, there is a myth that people are, are using Suboxone to get high. That's not really the case. So I, I think that's, again, important to underscore is uh, they're using it to get normal. Like you said, some people are probably thinking they're going to get high, so they're bringing it in. That's not the that's not really the case for Suboxone. It's not a drug like heroin where you're going to you're going to get high off of. So I think those are all important things to talk about over and over again. Because once you know, once I think our staff see some of this stuff, I think it'll be okay, and I think it'll be better. And I think overall, it's just an, it's just better operations. So um, let's talk about the pilot and how we're doing this. So we're training staff, I assume, right. and, on all this. How how is that rolling out? Well, we've been doing kind of training all along. So we've been working with leadership, so custody as well as healthcare leadership at the three sites, um, involving them in this. And then on uh, February the 4th, we started off with uh, training for the medical providers. So both the primary care as well as the behavioral health, you know, the psychiatry providers um, will be involved in the prescribing. The interesting thing with buprenorphine is you have to get a special uh, DEA waiver 
to be able to prescribe it. Um, with the methadone back all the way back in 1914, so it's a law that needs updating, but back in 1914, the U.S. government first decided we needed to do something about all the addiction to opioids. And so there was a law that was passed then that kind of regulated the prescribing of opioids. In 1970, we started with methadone, but you can only give methadone for opioid dependence or opioid use disorders within federally licensed, um, they call them narcotic treatment programs um, or NTPs. So then when buprenorphine came out, what they said is, well, we want people to have more access to it. We don't want you to have to go to the special you know, clinic, but we really want to be very careful about who's giving this stuff. We don't just kind of want every, you know, everybody just writing this stuff. So you have to have eight hours of training, four hours of it has to be essentially face-to-face, and then four hours of online training. And then you can apply for a waiver license. So that's what we did is we provided the four hours of face-to-face to our providers, and then they complete the next four hours online, then you submit for your waiver. Um, And then that allows our providers to then um, prescribe the buprenorphine here in our system. Are we hiring any other staff to help out with this process? As with most addictions, medication alone is not the answer. Um, And with opioid use disorders, typically therapy alone is not going to get it either. It's a combination. So we are in the process of hiring 30 more therapists or qualified mental health professionals. And for us, as with other correction systems, if you want to be on the opioid agonists like buprenorphine or methadone, you're going to have to be in therapy too. Which makes total sense. So I'm curious now, I mean, you said we've, we've been training staff for a while now. Has the thought process changed before the training and then after the training as far as, you know, their feelings on the use of MAT inside a facility? Yeah, and I think it starts with eliminating the stigma from drug use, right? So these aren't just weak people. They're not just, you know, a bunch of dirty criminals or whatever, but it's really starting to understand um, that the substance use disorder is a health condition. We've been having everyone who's come through the training, whether they're um, on, you know, the custody side or the healthcare side, watch a Corey Waller uh, video. Corey Waller is, he was an emergency medicine physician here in Michigan, and now he's this addictionologist. Is that the Neuroscience 101? Yes. That's the best video. Yes, that is incredible. And so it's been fascinating to, you know, kind of go in and have that first, you know, orientation meeting. This is what we're doing. And, you you know, kind of folks have their arms crossed and, you know, uh, uh, uh. and then to watch that video. And we actually got Corey to come in um, and do our training. And people are like, wow, because I don't think there's a single person who's going to be listening to this podcast that unless they're completely a hermit and don't know anybody else, everybody knows somebody that's impacted by this. It's a family member. It's a friend. Unfortunately, um, as we've been doing the training, it's amazing the number of folks that have a good friend or that family member that's overdosed. You know, I think that's where the, the start to the change is, is understanding that this is an illness and then we have to treat the illness. When, you, when you've talked to the other states, is there been a, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but is there even a rough estimate of how long before they started seeing either changes in outcomes or in the reduction in smuggling? Because this isn't going to be something that we can just mandate all prisoners are going to take. They're going to have to buy in. They're going to have to want to do it, right? So right. It's, right. It, at first it might be a s- small number. I'm not sure how it's going to, what what our, what our estimates are to get it going and get it accepted amongst the population. You know, it's interesting. Before we went to the conference in Rhode Island, I was thinking, oh, it's going to 
be a trickle. You know, we're going to have to talk some some of the prisoners into it. We're going to have to talk folks into referring um, folks to us. And when you talk to the other states that have done this, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we had to, like, do some prioritization efforts because so many people were interested in this. The group out of Rhode Island didn't have concrete data yet, but they were able to say that they were seeing a decrease in smuggling, a decrease in contraband, a decrease in misconduct tickets, and a decrease in violence. And so they were just in the process of starting to analyze their data. I can't thank you enough, doctor, for coming on today and kind of, you know, just educating us along with everybody else listening on all of this, because I think this is, this is a very important treatment. And that's what it is. People are suffering from addiction, a disease, you know, like you said, a a body problem, right? It's not, it's a health problem. It's not um, something I'm sure that they're happy to be involved in. They don't don't want it. Whoever grew up in, you know, who as a kid said, I want to grow up and be a drug addict. Nobody wants this. Right. I mean, a lot of it stems from a lot of, a lot of trauma, a lot of everything in their lives. And nobody wants to be addicted to a drug. They just don't. And, And if we can be part of helping that person become whole again and get past what has caused them maybe some of the issues that that cause them to use drugs or whatever it is for that person, then I'm all in. I think that's great. And I'm glad that we're doing this. And and the more that we educate our staff on the importance of this, this is a long-term strategy that hopefully will have some impact and overall, you know, outcomes in the end that are going to be positive. So thank you so much for coming on today. Talking about this, like I said in the beginning, it is Opioid Use Disorder Awareness Week. So this is a very relevant topic this week. You know, if anybody has any questions on this, is is there somewhere they can, somebody they can reach out to if, if, they have any questions on Matt? I mean, is there go through the chain of command or how? how... Call Chris. No, okay. just Call kidding. <laughs> so that's, that's what we usually say. They do. <laughs> no, absolutely. They can reach out to me. They can email me here. They can um, reach out to Beth Boyd, who we had on okay. here previously. Yeah, definitely a friend of the pod. So um, you you are a new friend of the pod. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for what you have done before corrections. You've had a huge impact on a lot of people, and now you're here having a huge impact. Um, thank you so much for what you do every single day. We 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 can't thank you enough, and we appreciate you very much for coming on today and talking about it. Thank you. You know, Chris, I, I find these, uh, the podcasts where we talk about, you know, these kind of topics very helpful. I mean, in all honesty, I think you learn quite a bit, um, you know, talking with Dr. McIntyre Leone about some of the Matt stuff. I know we've talked to Marty Kay and Beth about it, but it is Opioid Use Disorder Awareness Week. So it's, you know, it, it's relevant. It's, uh, I, I hope staff find it as useful as, as we do. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it is a big change, which is why we wanted to have it on the podcast a couple times. And it's also going to be, it's also in the newsletter uh, that came out uh, this week. So there's a lot of good information and it's going to be different for a whole lot of staff. It's a whole shift in how we've yeah. done things a lot for a long time. So hopefully we want to make sure that they're aware in as many mediums as possible that this is new and different and, and coming their way. So uh, moving on from our discussion with, uh, with, with Dr. McIntyre uh, Leone, we have some pretty big news for some longtime MDOC family members that are, that are going to retire this week. Big news not only because, you know, they're, they're long-term MDOC employees who are retiring this week, but because they are both friends of the pod, Chris. And I know you know who they are. We do have to give them shout-outs because they're important to our, to our little podcast here. And, and the first person is uh, Assistant Deputy Director Bob Naple. He does... Uh, he's been on several times. He's been on several times. What I was going to say is, uh, you know, Bob has been on the podcast, I think, twice or three I times. I believe right? at least twice, yeah. And one of the podcasts he was on was one of our most listened-to podcasts. That's right. And that's not because I wasn't on it, because I wasn't on that one. <laughs> that was the history of the Marquette Branch Prison, right? That, yeah. That, you did up there. That was really a fun one. I, I, I do most of these with you, um, but that one was a great one to listen to. Like I, I didn't want to get out of the car because just the history up there is very interesting. If, if you haven't heard it, I would um, 
I'd urge you to go back and uh, that was a couple years ago, right? Yeah, it's a couple years ago. We can put it in the uh, in the notes for this episode, and when you get the email, you'll we'll have a link to that one because it was very good, and 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 also Bob's been on the shooting um, team podcast. Right. The other person who's retiring this week is Miffer Griffin, and for those of you who don't know Miffer, Miffer is probably one of the nicest people. Um, she is just a lovely person inside and out, uh, and she is the 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 SEMA for deputy director. McKee in CFA. One of our biggest fans of this she podcast. Is. She no, is. Every, she will almost you know, every When week. people say, listen, I, I know they're probably lying. They just want to be nice <laughs> to our face. She can recite back what we talked about. So I actually know she listens. She listens, yeah. Every week she says something about the podcast that, and, and it, it shows that she's, she's actually listening. Yeah, and she doesn't have to anymore, but maybe in retirement, we'll see if we still get those little notes. Little, uh, yeah, little emails. Maybe on Facebook or email. Yeah, That's right. We'll see. Yeah, so huge congratulations to Bob and Miffer. You know, hopefully your, your retirement is long relaxing, uh, enjoyable, and there's lots of family and friends involved in, in all that. So um, huge congrats. Yeah, we're going to miss you guys. Chris, um, next week is, is survey time again, right? It's Yeah, it's that time again. The uh, 2020 employee survey. So this is not just MDOC. This is state of Michigan-wide, just like we've done uh, a number of years in the past when we've had these surveys and we've had people on to talk about the survey, the importance of it, the anonymity of it. We can't always stress that right. enough that it's completely anonymous. Uh, but and we, at this point, you know, really... Um, we've done quite a few. I hope people realize at this point that nothing has right. came back at them because they <laughs> they put their honest, you know, we want honest. their honest feedback. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So hopefully people have realized that at this point. And we can point to a lot of things that have happened because of the survey that when we see the trends, because the director, the deputy directors, they read every single comment uh, that comes in for their area. They take it really seriously. And the survey is going to kick off. It started on March 2nd and will run until March 23rd. So between uh, here on the podcast and the newsletter, you'll be seeing tons of emails about this and messages from, from people uh, asking you to take the survey. And you're probably going to get multiple emails asking to take the survey because again it's anonymous so they don't know when you've taken it so even if after you've taken it you're still going to get emails asking you to take it and that's because they don't know who has taken it and who hasn't so just another point that to make sure that people understand that this is totally anonymous and we want honest feedback i know i know they have a lot to do and they, they have a lot of emails and you know there's always survey for this or that but this is a pretty important survey because things, things change because of, of people's feedback so please I, I urge everybody to uh just take you know 10 15 minutes and take take the survey and put your honest um, opinions and feedback of, of how we can get better, what we're doing good, um, where we need some improvements, and because uh, that, that information is shared with everybody um, who, who's, who needs to know. So Yeah, and we will stress all these points and more uh, in a future episode of the podcast where we're going to have some folks on to uh, talk to you about the survey and uh, what to expect this year. Anything else you got, or, or you uh, you want to wrap this wrap this podcast up? I'm good for today. All right, well, make sure you uh, stay tuned next week to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, Thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.